Come on in. Come on. <laughs> Come on in. Welcome, welcome. The slow road to better. Why do we do the slow road to better? Well, we've been lucky where we can talk about it to our our friends, people here at the Stroke Comeback Center, but now then we can tell more people across the world to learn about it. What is the it that we're talking about? Aphasia. Stroke yeah. survivors. Mm-hmm. TBI people. Life moves on. Inspiration. Help listeners. That our inspiration of a bridge of hope. I love it. Trying to help each other a lifeline. Part of it also is we started doing it. It's not because we just wanted to tell everyone to see what happened to us. But also we wanted to get better talking ourselves oh, with the phaser. Sure. And we wanted to, one day, it's not going to, the phaser's not leaving it, but we'd like to crush it a little bit. Let's listen in. Listen in. All right. Before we get officially, officially started, don't forget, May 19th, Wednesday, is Do More 24. It is the 24-hour opportunity to bug all your friends and everyone you know to donate $24. We have a lot of folks who are like Kitty and Regina, our Do More 24 ambassadors. I think Tanya set up a page, Chris set up a page. And you can sort of put your story out there and tell people why the Stroke Comeback Center is important for you and why we would appreciate if they donated $24 or more. What happens is we have people who give more, but what we really have is a lot of people who give a little bit and that little bit adds up and adds up and adds up. Uh, Last year, I had 500 donated. Wow. Please, please get the word out. Today, we have a very special guest with us. I'm really excited. Her name is Valerie Kramer, and she is the program manager and trainer extraordinaire with America's Vet Dogs. We knew Valerie first through Wilson, which is Pat's service dog that we all know and love. Um, But the world got to know America's vet dogs through Sully. Um, Sully got a lot of press in the news, and he was president or former president George H.W. Bush's service dog. So with that, I'd love to welcome Valerie. How are you doing this morning? I'm well. Thank you. Thank you all for inviting me. Um, As Melissa said, I'm the service dog program manager at America's Vet Dogs, and um, We at America's Vet Dogs train service dogs for disabled veterans as well as first responders. So the work that I do, um, I began my career 15 years ago, but I was part of the foundation for about three years prior to that because I started raising dogs for the foundation. Every one of the dogs that go out to a recipient is a dog that had to be raised in a home and taught fundamental skills before it came in for formal training. So somebody has to raise that dog for about 12 to 14 months and teach it house matters and take it out to all the places that uh, a family would go to or an individual would go to. 
And I started work doing that and um, really loved the work. I said I was going to do it once and then mm. I did it twice and then I did it again. And then uh. I said, you know, I'm so involved in this. I really like the mission. Let me move forward and really be a part of it. I then applied for a position as an apprentice, which is how you often people start out in the business. You're going to learn for three years. They teach you how to teach animals, how to be service dogs. And I started as an apprentice with a guide dog foundation, which is the sister, the parent com uh, company of America's Vet Dogs. So for about eight years, I uh, trained guide dogs for the blind and became a certified guide dog mobility instructor. That means I can teach people how to read traffic and to utilize the, the guide dog. And then I began training um, dogs. I started a program which trained dogs to go overseas to combat zones to be um, work as kind of a therapeutic bridge with behavioral health specialists and they're, and they're called COSC dogs, combat operational stress control dogs. And those dogs went to um, Afghanistan and Iraq and they worked with psychiatrists and psychologists so that um, it was an opportunity to take a dog out and bring it to people who are on a base in a far remote country. It's kind of a little bit of home because no one was allowed to have a dog there. It also gave the, the psychiatrists and psychologists an opportunity to start a conversation with someone that probably wouldn't have a conversation with you about things. And then they could, someone could say, oh, I love that dog. I miss my dog. And then they could talk about home issues and how they were dealing with stress and things like that. So it's a fabulous bridge. And then that bridge became my bridge and I moved over to America's Vet Dogs and started uh, training primarily service dogs for disabled veterans. The program has evolved a lot and it has gone from working with disabled veterans to now we work with first responders who are in need of a service dog. And that can be a dog that assists somebody if they have seizures, the dog can respond. We don't train the dogs to detect a seizure, but they respond to a seizure. Maybe help somebody with hearing, help somebody with mobility issues if they uh, utilize a wheelchair or a walker or a cane help somebody who has PTSD. We have a lot of skills that we that we train the dogs to mitigate the person's uh, symptoms of PTSD. And we also train dogs that would go as facility dogs. So Pat has seen a lot of my dogs. I've trained six dogs to be used at Walter Reed. Uh, I've got dogs at Andrews Air Force Base, Indiana, Florida, Georgia. I've got dogs all over the place. And um, I, my most recent dog was last week. And I trained that dog to work in a school. Uh, this is kind of a one-off. It was a special project that we did this year. We have the year of maximum impact. But that dog works with a, um, a handler who works in uh, cerebral palsy of Nassau County. 
and um, the dog is there to greet students in the morning. Uh, and they have, they've got 200 students uh, from the ages of three to hmm, mid twenties. And so the dog can motivate students to do their work. They, the students maybe can, in addition to just kind of making them happy and waving in the morning as they come in, the, the dog can also um, be there to calm a student if they, if the student wanted to pet the dog or brush the dog or, so it's kind of like incentive. So there's an awful lot of things that one service dog can, um, can do. Uh, we as an organization are pretty open to seeing where a dog can fit and where, where a dog can help people. And the interesting part of it is that, I mean, we're dog people, we believe in it. <laughs> so there, we just take the problem and see where a dog could benefit somebody. And we don't train just a few skills and send a dog out. You tell us what your disability is. And then we say, oh, you have a bad back. We can teach retrieve. You have headaches. It would retrieve will help you from having to bend over or you don't have strength in your arm the dog will pull the door open mm -hmm. or maybe you need help with your gait we can help you with counterbalance so so we we have a lot a lot of different skills inside of it for ptsd we teach dogs to wake up people in the middle of their nightmares we teach dogs to offer an extension of people's personal space by moving into different positions, depending what the person's comfort level is with the location they are. Uh, we teach dogs to hit buttons, either handicap buttons or call 911 buttons or handicap doors, um, go get medication, go get things out of the refrigerator. It just is endless. Hey, Pat. Hey, hey Valerie, what, what year was it that they started um, for, wasn't it from WW2 when people came back and they ended up blind? So that's yeah, when they so, started, right? So the Guide Dog Foundation, we're in our 75th anniversary, which is kind of exciting. This year is our 75th. And it started as a group of just the community got together in Queens, New York, and they began training guide dogs for returning veterans who had been wounded in the war. We've kind of come full circle because the, the, at that time we were training mostly for veterans. And then we began training guide dogs uh, for civilians oh. and veterans. And then we opened up a whole nother division that doesn't train civilians, but it trains veterans and first responders. And, and then what year did they start doing the... Um, officially, American yeah, officially, I believe that we established America's Vet Dogs in 2003. I would say in 2008, we were uh, unfortunately going hot and heavy because of the war. And we were dealing with a lot of limb loss, uh, limb salvage, traumatic brain injuries, spinal injuries, things like that. Uh, we only started training PTSD dogs as the war was winding down. People were coming out of military service and they realized that they had been strongly 
affected by the service and, and the events that they were involved in. And then after 9-11, we expanded because we're in, New York, in the New York area. So many of us have been touched by the loss of people through that tragedy. And we felt that we should expand it to first responders, firefighters, police, EM, EMT. And so now we train for them as well. Well, do they um, do they have um, like if I wanted to get a uh, like a working dog to help me? Is it is it just for people from the um, like for the last twenty years for the war or no? That's a great question. So um, because of funding, we are a nonprofit organization. We rely on the good graces of the general public to fund us. We do a lot of uh, fundraising like you, you all do, but um, we, we get very, we only get one, we apply for one government grant that we've been successful with in the, over the last number of years. Lots of agencies that train for veterans and first responders are what they're calling post 9-11. And so um, we're very proud of the fact that we train all eras of war and we train people we can have young people that have come in in their 20s right next to someone who's in their 80s we have female and male we have all of the branches so we're very lucky that we have enough funding that we can open it up wide and that we don't have to go and and close down the, the group of individuals that we serve. So that's a great question. So then how was, how old was, because uh, didn't you go to uh, when Sully went down to Houston, didn't you go down there? So I trained Sully, I began training Sully in 2017. And he was part of my string. We all train five dogs each. So Sully was part of it. I will tell you that from the very beginning, I knew that Sully was an exceptional dog. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of remarkable. And so I completed Sully's training and I received a phone call from someone so I don't normally, and Pat knows, I don't, I don't have time to answer my phone all the time. And if, you, <laughs> and if your name doesn't roll across my screen and I don't know who you are, chances are I'm not answering it. Like all of us, we all get that spam stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Oh yeah. So I was <laughs> waiting for a phone call from someone who had received a, a presidential medal of honor. And it came from, so I got a call that said Washington DC. So I picked it up. And the person identified themselves and said they were calling from the Pentagon and they were calling from George W. Bush's office and that they were calling to inquire if I would train a dog for George H. W. Bush. <laughs> and I said, sure, no problem. I'll have it by Tuesday. <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I thought like, Who's calling me to ask me if I'll train a dog? You have the president's office or a former president's office calling me to, about another former president. And I thought it was one of my friends making a joke. Oh but, my God. <laughs> but they continued, they persisted and, were, and said, well, you know, 
we heard about you through your work in Washington and this person told us to call you and this person, cause you have to, so the funny part is, is that they were calling on my personal phone. I have a work phone, a personal phone, a desk work phone. They were calling on my personal phone. So the whole thing I thought was a little kind of weird. Anyway, um, through the conversation, they re I realized, I think they're very serious. <laughs> and, and, um, and they were telling me, you know, that they needed a dog that was a loyal dog and a dog that would be good with children and, and things. And so I realized that this is legit. Yeah. And I said, and right there on the phone, which is something Pat knows we would we don't do is I said, I have the perfect dog and his name is Sully. Now realize that Pat has been waiting for oh, a Wilson new dog. And up until the last phone call, I never would tell Pat the name of the dog. That's not something that we do. We never, we don't tell people. I only told Pat because uh, um, he was begging. <laughs> but um, we usually keep that very, very quiet until the day that you receive the dog. So for me on the very first phone call to tell um, 43's office, the name of the dog that I was choosing for his father without having lengthy conversations was extraordinary. Mm. But it's one of those experiences in life that just everything falls right into place. And from that conversation came more conversations and more conversations. And then we were on with President George H.W. Bush's team. And he was telling us that he was concerned about his age and that he didn't want to take a dog away from somebody else who might need it more than him. And that in truth, he has so many people. At one point, the staff member said, if he sneezes, nine people run with the tissue. <laughs> so he was concerned that he wasn't deserving and he was also concerned because of his age that it was likely he would he would pass away prior to the dog passing away and so he didn't want to to accept sully until we had a plan moving forward and he always said from the beginning that he wanted sully to go on and carry out the mission of working and helping people so through my connections at Walter Reed, I approached them and said, wouldn't it be amazing if, hopefully it doesn't happen soon, but if President Bush, former President Bush received Sully and he passes away, you're the president's hospital, wouldn't you want to have the president's dog? And so they agreed that they would accept Sully and add Sully into the pack. Uh -oh. And there's so many really exciting things that just work together. For example, George H.W. Bush, when he was a president, he was the person who signed the Americans with Disabilities Act. And we all know the, the benefit that everyone has received from that act. And if it hadn't have been for so many parts of, the, of that act, we wouldn't be able to bring service dogs into places. So... <laughs> For him to ultimately receive a service dog was really amazing. What, what is an acceptable dog? Uh, it's a dog that is really controllable, 
a dog that has a good conscience and wouldn't do anything that is dog-like that would hurt <laughs> that would hurt somebody. It's a dog that is a really fantastic companion, a dog that has beautiful house manners, Aww. a dog that is good in lots of different environments because President Bush, although he the time that Sully spent with him was towards the end of his life, he was super active. He Every day he would have people coming in and out, he would go places, he would hop on a plane, he would go to special places. He lived in Kenny Bunkport, he also lived in, in Houston. Some dogs can't re, um, adapt to all of that. Yeah. That, yeah. but um, Sully really adapted yeah. to it. He, he was wow. really good. Wow, wow, wow. So let's say I am getting a service dog, but I already have one or two dogs that are not service dog material. What then happens when I receive, or if I am basically discard because I have one or two dogs? So if you were, like I said in the beginning, we're pretty adaptable. There are certain types of dogs that will be harder for us to place another dog in that home. Like mm. Pat is going to be receiving his new dog. We're gonna work very, very hard to make sure that although Wilson is, is going to be retired, Wilson will start to see that other dog do some work and Wilson will wanna get in on it. Mm, so right. if you had another service dog, we have to work very, very hard to make sure- No, I don't have a service dog. <laughs> If you have pet dogs, you can't have, you, you can have two pet dogs, but you can't have more than two because gotcha. it just creates too much chaos in the home. If you have dogs that are not nice dogs, dogs that are more of a predator type of a dog that um, let's say they wouldn't want the service dog to run from place to place, we have to be aware of that because the service dog might have to run to hit a button and run back to the person. And if the, that agitates the other dog, we couldn't go there. Gotcha. If, you, if you have dog, our dogs are uh, trained for, uh, many of our dogs are raised in Georgia, Maryland, in a program that from when they were puppies, they are training. Some, and then um, other dogs, we have, 13, soon to be 15 prisons, all the way from Maine to Florida. And they're raised in um, outside COVID, of course, because all the, a lot of prisons shut down outside programs, but uh, they're raised by prisoners on Monday through Friday, and they go yep. with families on, on the weekends, and then they get dropped back in the prison. And, really? Yeah. What? Huh. Yeah. I thought it was, uh, I've heard about the prison but I thought it was 100% prison, each but I guess is different. not, obviously. Yeah, each program is okay. different. We like ours to be, because a prison is quite a closed environment. And so if we took a dog and we raised it in a prison and then we put it at the mall, <laughs> it's so crazy, right? 
Or if right, we, you know, we put it in like Yankee Stadium and because you like to go to ball games, that would flip a dog out. So we want to have, have a dog that's right. well-rounded and able to go from place to place and behave properly. It's really great because when they're young puppies, um, it's perfect for house manners. It's perfect for to, um, to teach to teach toileting. Absolutely. Everything. People are on very set schedules in a prison and they when, can do repetitive work all day long. When I, and then when I, on the weekends, hang on two seconds, on the weekends, they go with families and the families can go to church, they can go shopping, right. they can go to ball games, they can go to concerts, things like that. What did you say, Pat? So when I get this new dog, is he gonna be smoking? He's gonna be smoking hot. <laughs> what? He's being silly. All right, so he's being silly. Jail. He might be smoking in jail. <laughs> so how long have, or how long do you receive a dog? Okay. One, so, two years or what? Right. So when that dog is raised in the prison or and the weekends or in Maryland, Georgia area, they come to us at about 14 months old. Then we do the, the formal training, like we teach it to pick up items, to open and close doors, to get things out of the refrigerator, to wake people up during nightmares. Then we match those dogs to have the perfect temperament for somebody that is receiving the dog. Because somebody who's maybe 24 years old, who has PTSD, but loves to hike and loves to run and loves to do water sports is going to receive a very different dog from a 76 year old person who might have the beginnings of Parkinson's or some things like that. A dog that works in a wheelchair is a very different dog from a dog that works with a person that's ambulatory. So we have to match them. Then we usually, Pat's very special, as you all know, but we usually have you, we have you come to us and you stay on our campus for two weeks. Really? We either fly you to us or you drive to us. Nice. You stay for two weeks. We pay for your transportation to us, your room and board. We train you for two full weeks. Hmm. And then we, you, um, and we give you the dog free of charge. And then you go home and you use that dog. And we always check in with you. We will we'll check in at two weeks, one month, three months, six months, nine months. You're going to test and you're gonna, we're going to make sure that all the things we taught you, you're, you're still doing. And if you don't, we're just going to help you get to where you can pass that test. And then every two years afterwards, as Pat knows, we will test you and make sure that the dog is good, that you're, that you're safe, that it's being treated right, it's not too fat, all things like that. Pat's very special. And Pat's- no, Obviously. Receive, Pat's gonna receive, plus also COVID gets things a little bit funky, but Pat's gonna receive a home training. So I'm gonna take the dog from New York. I'm gonna stick it in my car and I'm gonna drive wow. down to Pat's house and I'm gonna train Pat out of his house and out of Walter Reed. So he gets to stay in his home at night. I'm gonna stay almost two weeks cause I'm gonna do one-on-one. -on -one. Whereas if you come up to us, we have classes of probably four, three or four instructors and 10 or 11 people. Mm -hmm. And that Pat's gonna get one-on-one -on -one training. So I don't have to stay for the full two weeks. And then I'm gonna go home and then Pat's gonna have his dog. So if you have two dogs at home 
we would teach you everything about how to, to learn how to walk in the door with your, how to introduce the dogs, how to make sure that the dogs are nice and play nicely, how to practice the training with your dog. We teach you everything from how to groom it, how to walk with it, how to play with it, how to, how to take care of its medical needs. We have a lot, it's really a jam-packed two weeks, right, Pat? Yeah. All right, and then- hey, Hang on one second, Chris. So my, my question- yeah. was, <laughs> All right. <laughs> Chris, so, you're so cut off. About the people applying, do yeah. they get tested to make sure they're gonna be yeah. good to the dogs? And That's a really good question. So- How much does um, it cost? And how much does it cost? Cost. Free, zero, free of charge. What? Yeah. But what about, I mean, I know it's not your program, but say someone was going to apply that wasn't a vet, so okay. they needed to apply to a different place. What Could you give them a range of what a service dog could cost? Yes, okay. So I'm gonna start with Sean and I'll blend into that whole cost thing. So the, I belong to, I'm a, an, a what they call an, an assessor assistance dogs international that is an, a big organization that lots of programs schools want to be a part of to be sure and it and it's kind of like uh being part of the american dental association right it means that you met really good criteria and that you um are treating and training your dogs humanely, that you're taking care of the medical needs of the dogs, that you're rearing them or you're purchasing them and you're keeping them in good standing. It means that you've had this robust application process. So Sean, from the beginning, you go to our website and somebody would apply for a dog. And it's kind of like a pre-application. You answer fast questions. Why do you want a dog? What's your disability? Where do you live? How old are you? What, what, where's your background? Do you fit into the, the mission statement of our organization? Because not everybody can apply to us. If you right. don't, if you don't, you're bounced out. If you meet the criteria, part two comes. That part two is a lengthy form. And it talks more in detail about your lifestyle, about where you live, about what you do. Do you work? Do you not work? Do you have a family? Do you not? All that. The next step is you need to, um, the computer shoots out a medical history that your doctor has to sign. If you're applying for a PTSD dog, your behavioral health specialist has to sign it. If you have a spouse, your spouse has to agree that they want you to take a dog on. Then from there, you have to obviously agree to just all kinds of forms, liability, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then from there, you receive, um, you you receive a, a form telling you this amazingly ridiculous video that we need to see where you live, how you live, how you're gonna use your dog, how you go up and down steps, can you bend over, can you pick up a coin, all these different things that I can sort of assess your physical needs, or the, or the lack of thereof. Then we do an interview with one of my staff members and they are a service dog instructor. So they're gonna ask really in-depth questions to try to assess your true needs. Because lots of times people don't really know what a dog can do for you. Right. And they just say, well, this is my problem. How can you solve it? And then we solve that. 
If you are seeing behavioral health, we have a psychiatrist on our committee that will do a one hour interview with you to make sure that you're mentally stable. You're at the point that a dog is going to benefit you, not that you need to work further before you get a dog. Then you're, if, um, if you've said that there are things that kind of make us go ping, we will do a background check. We don't do one on everybody, but we do a background check. We did one on Pat. <laughs> kidding. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. Pat. I'm kidding. But you did sign the waiver saying we could, but we didn't do it. Your whole entire file goes to a committee of people and we determine if you are at the point in your life, can you accept a dog? Will it be helpful? Are you able to afford a dog? Because it's expensive. It costs about $75 a month to take care of a dog. Yeah. Are you able to pay for it if the dog becomes ill? Are you cognitively avail uh, able to remember that you have to once a month give it this pill and once a month give it flea and tick and all those things? And then we assess and we determine what tasks we will be able to help you do. Now, some people will ask us, I have problems getting off the floor when I fall. But if that person is six foot four and weighs 350 pounds, probably not. You're not going to do that because that's going to hurt the dog, right? So you could ask for it, but we may not give you that task. Right, so right. Then, then sadly, the wait happens. And the wait was long, but COVID made it really long. Oh wait for a service dog because literally we stopped dead. We closed wow. the doors. We really? put 450 dogs in homes with people. Aww. Our instructors took dogs into their home. I had four dogs that I was training out of my house. Wow. And so it slowed down our production. And then we also weren't able to bring people into our building because we were afraid to risk people's disabilities and their safety was paramount. So we stopped training dogs. Then I began inviting people in two by two which is very slow when you used to offer classes of 12 and 14. So it slowed down everything. The wait for a service dog currently is about three to three and a half years. The wait for a PTSD dog, which even my newest instructors can put the skills on so we can train more of them is about a year and maybe year and a half now. If you were to apply for a dog in most other uh, outside organizations, I would say to you, go to a program that is Assistance Dogs International Accredited. And some of those programs, even though they're a nonprofit, they can charge for a dog or they can be free or they have a hybrid where they ask you to go and fundraise so you can receive a dog. And um, you have to bring money into the organization in order to, for them to be able to put the dogs out. It doesn't mean that they're a bad organization if they charge you or if they ask you to help them with funding. What it means is that they just don't have as deep pockets as an organization like ours is that's been around for 75 years, right? Mm -hmm. So what I would be very careful of is applying to a program that 
doesn't let you see their kennels, doesn't mm. let you go and visit. Really? Doesn't mm -hmm. let you, doesn't, uh, asks you for a lot of money up front, doesn't offer you any assistance afterwards. We have, um, Pat knows, we have aftercare for the life of the dog and Pat's called me on Christmas. Remember that one year, Pat? And it wasn't to say Merry Christmas. Something was <laughs> with the dog. So, um, it, so we're available to help you. There are lots of programs that they get your money and you're done. And you wanna make sure the dogs are healthy. What if they have bad hips and they can't walk past like they're eight years old? So that's the reason why Assistance Dogs International accreditation is so important. No, and no matter what program you go to, you should remember that. You want to you want to ask for references, talk to people more than one person who's received a dog from them. You want to be able to see the dog work, and you can't just go by a website because there aren't, as we all know in life, there aren't always good people out there trying to help people. There are people out there trying to take advantage and you wanna make sure that the references are really good. Just as a, maybe it's silly, but um, do you know that could help at least us that like learn how to train on certain things like you could do for a normal dog that you yeah. could learn? You need, it, it couldn't, it's the worst of times and the best of times. COVID has blown up the dog training mm -hmm. world. Lots and lots really? of people who were stuck in a room, uh, they went and they received dogs. So there are so many apps on, a, on your phone that don't cost you anything. And you can every day learn tricks that you could teach your dog or learn how to stop your dog baby from barking or how to stop your dog from digging a hole in the ground. There's so many apps that are available. And then there are ex not expensive, but because getting a private trainer is very expensive. Right. Somebody like me with my skills can charge $80 to $100 an hour. And if you're taking a raw dog, it can take lots and lots of hours to train. Like our dogs have hundreds and hundreds of hours of training on mm -hmm. them. So if you were to ask me to come to your home by the hour, you'd just be working to pay me. So yeah. getting going to things, there's like a, something called masterclass and, okay. that, and that's on the internet and you pay a subscription fee and you ability to go in and to contact them and get individual type training, like in a group setting. But if you're really keen on doing this and not for your own dog, but you'd like to do this, maybe you want this as a career or you want to not work service dogs, but maybe help other people train their dogs. There's Karen Pryor courses. She's very well known. Clicker training, positive reinforcement. There's um, not just punitive, put a, a, a certain kind of collar on a dog and wail on them until right. they do it. There's positive reinforcement, which is what I encourage you to make sure that if you're considering applying for a dog from a program, you make sure the is dog- Is that the one that like it hits on your car, on your collar where it kind of goes beep, beep? Well, so that's not positive. That's no. Punitive. That's punitive. So that's a shock collar, actually. Yeah. And lots of lots of bully breed handlers and trainers would the consider trainer did that one. They would so use that. 
because it it's um, stops the dog immediately from doing a bad thing, but then you have to teach the dog the good thing to do afterwards. We don't. So do you think it's really bad for him? No, I think that certain breeds and certain. I take the no back. We don't do it. Okay. I think certain breeds and certain behaviors need something like that. If you have the right environment and you have a dog that's that you've saved from going into a kill shelter and you've tried other things and this is something that helps and it doesn't and and because you're hopefully fading away from the shock and they just get the noise and they mm -hmm. stop before that you want to aim to step away from that shock and you want to go towards teaching the dog not just stopping bad but teaching good there's a big difference right um you you can utilize tools like that because saving a dog and having it in a good environment can change the behavior. And if that's the only thing that's gonna get through the dog, you must use it for temporary. We okay. choose not to, we choose not to, but I'm not gonna stand in judgment of everybody. If you had to use a punitive training to get past a situation so that you can move towards positive reinforcement, it has to be done. We choose not to. Which, okay. is the reason why, which is the reason why we're lucky. We do all our own breeding. Mm -hmm. We breed 460 dogs, 420 dogs a year. Yeah. 130 of them make it. How do you pick a dog for service training? How do you mm -hmm. know it's a good dog? And a puppy? Well, for us, we only train Labrador retrievers, golden retrievers. We cross them. We train, we train poodles for people who have allergies. No more other breeds. We, train, we breed our own dogs and we breed a temperament that they don't have prey drive. They're not highly energized. They're kind of normal energy levels. They want to keep going, but they don't have to go. Um, we train dogs that aren't going to chase cats. We train, you know, we, <laughs> we want dogs that are going to be nice and, and they have good temperament. If a dog had, let's say, three skin conditions as a puppy, gone. Wow. You know, we uh, wow. adopt it. We adopt it because we need to give it to people who need that dog to work. It yeah. Can't, it can't be ill all the time. Yeah. What's another animal that would, what's another animal that would work? Well, they've had great success with horses as guide dogs because horses live for a long time, but not everybody can breed a little horse. <laughs> and also, and because I mean, like you want to get on an airplane, right? Yeah. A little horse, but that's it now. The Americans with Disabilities Act has uh, tightened down and there's no such thing as snakes, peacocks, chickens, pigs, snakes. cats. All of those things can help people, but they're not trained tasks to mitigate your disability. Mm, and right. so therefore they become emotional support animals. Okay. 
And then those animals no longer cannot ride public transportation mm. or things like that because they don't actually have the skills that you necessitated every day to get through your daily living activities. It just made you feel good. What about the small poodle? A small poodle works. We don't train them because we haven't had a lot of success with them. Uh, we would love to, but we also have to think of the size of the dog in um, relation to the individual and the work that they're going to do. So a 30 pound dog is not going to be able to work with a 200 pound person because they are not going to have enough pull to be able to help somebody to guide them. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so we do yeah. all our own breeding and we clean up the lines and we breed out resource, guard, resource guarding or uh, dogs that don't like children or dogs that are afraid of traffic or, do or dogs that don't settle well. We breed that all out. Mm. And that's so, where we've had success. So the two week training or whatever, or is that where this is just what I know, maybe it's wrong, but actually they pick dog is like basically the dog picks the human. No, is that some correct? schools do that. Some programs okay. do that. Some programs you're in a room with a few people and they let out a bunch of dogs and they see which dogs gravitate towards you. And then they ask you your top three and they looked at the three and then they, they do have a decision in the process. And so you might not get the dog you really wanted because okay. they, not, they don't think it fit, but some do it for us. But, but so think about it. You had to have the room full of three people that needed the same exact dog, the same exact tasks. Now for us, we say, do you live in a city? Do you live in the country? Are you strong? Are you not strong? Do you need a dog to help you do this? Do you need a dog to help you pull things? Do you, what do you need? Do you have other dogs in your home? Do you need a low distraction dog? What's the capability that you have to control the dog? And so, and then we train the dog specifically for you. So all of us are sitting in a room. I can tell you that we'll probably would get retrieved. We will probably get rest, but Gotcha. Pat might get forward momentum and Melissa might get a dog that wakes her up during nightmares and Tanya might get a, a dog that pushes buttons like all the dogs will have different skills so that when you come on class, we are teaching you in a group certain things, but mostly it's one on one training. Gotcha. Um, what a, um, you have a got you have a service dog and for you, but dogs treat um dogs um treat other people um maybe a stroke um or um i don't know i can't say it i can't say it um so what i'm uh, thinking you might be saying is if you have a dog and um it's trained to work with you yeah would that dog work with other people in the family? yeah yeah and the answer is no, it's not ideal. Yeah. For example, Pat knows that when he came home, he needed Wilson to help him. 
And sometimes Wilson was hanging around in the kitchen with Patty. For one reason or another, which we know the reason why. If Patty's listening, Patty knows the reason why too. But that's not going to help Pat if he has a seizure in the bedroom and Wilson someplace else. So we strongly encourage you to be the only person that takes the dog for a walk, feeds the dog. Every day you have to train with the dog. You have to practice seizures. Now you can have other family members interact and help you but you wanna be the primary focus that that dog has because the bond should be with you, not with anybody else in the family. Or else you become the disciplinarian and the kids become the fun one and they're not gonna be with you when you need it. I hate to cut this conversation off because I honestly feel like we could talk for another hour because I have a question about training a dog with when you have aphasia, but- It is already 11 o'clock. I know Chris is at work. I know, Valerie, you probably are up to your eyeballs and things to do. Thank you so much for having me on. I've put my um, the data in the chat box, and Melissa knows where to reach me. Pat does as well. I wish you the absolute best in your Do More 24 fundraising. Valerie, thank you so, so much. With that, we are going to wrap it up on this episode of Our lawyers made us say this. Disclaimers. What about disclaimers? Your opinion, the group opinion is not valid. Well, it is, but it's valid, but I'm having a disclaimer so that we don't get in trouble. Yes. Doctors. Doctors. Who's doctor? There's. Um, they. They. Their doctor. Yes. All right. Yes. So if people hear something on this podcast, you should ask your doctor. Doctor. Amen.